All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that you are present with us. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your word, that when we open your word, when we receive your word, God, it empowers us to live uh, like your son. And we just thank you that today, you got, God, you just transform us and move in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. You guys doing good this morning? Yeah. All right. At least three people are. All right. So um, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but we'll be hovering in Ephesians um, in a minute here. So um, there is a uh, hashtag and, um, on social media sites. It says, hold the line. And this, this has been um, very... Um, predominant in the last year and a half, two years, when we went through all of the um, COVID shutdowns and everything like that, people were saying we need to keep our churches open. We need to be a place for people to go. Even if you have to put a hazmat suit on there, it needs to be a place to go for people that need connection and need to hear the word of God. And um, I just kind of looked through that, um, through that and was seeing a lot of different um, churches, different uh, people and um, just watching that um, people were willing to stand up and say we are going to go to church we are going to assemble as a body um, we know that um, things are real we know things are people were getting sick people were you know uh, passing away but we still need to um, assemble we still need people to get together and the the hold your line um, uh, that phrase comes from us standing our ground and saying we are going to be what God has called us to be no matter what happens in this world, no matter what um, virus comes, no matter what persecution, we are going to stand and we are going to hold hold the line. We're going to stand our ground. And it was funny this morning and uh, we were getting set up and and Sarah and Jordan like, it's just too hot to have church today. And I'm like, and then Sarah goes, now I'm reminded of some friends of ours in the Philippines when they had church and it was flooding and they were up to their knees in water in the church, but they were still this far above the water in their seats. And it makes you think about what we are willing to do in order, or what we are willing to go through to go to church, what we are willing to endure to go to church. You know, the fact that we don't have air conditioning, you know, it, it may, we can be uncomfortable for a little while when we've got um, other believers that are, are, are persecuted, they're being killed, they're being um, enslaved, um, being uh, murdered on a, a daily basis. We have the ability to be in an unair conditioned room for an hour and a half or whatever and be able to enjoy the Word of God, be able to hold the Word of God in our hand, be able to have a phone that has the Word of God in our hand. And I think we have to start to um, look at what we have and say, you know what, we, it's not about our comfort. Yeah. We want our comfort. Comfort is always something that we want. We want to be comfortable. We want, but comfort, what did you say, uh, breeds complacency. And when we are so comfortable in our walk and we are so comfortable in church um, that th- little things start to affect how we feel about church, we've gotten complacent. When we, uh, I didn't like the mints this week. Well, if you don't, I do, because I eat a lot of them. But, you know, it's, it, there's certain things that we, I mean, think about it. When we start to argue and we start to think about church, well, I didn't really like this about church. 
And we start to take that little minor piece about what we don't like about church, and we use that as a major pivot point of what we are going to do at church and how we feel about church, we become complacent. And when complacency breeds selfishness. And so our job is to, as believers is to hold the line, saying, you know, I'm not going to let the little things bother me. Sarah and I don't agree upon anything. If you've been with us for more than 10 minutes, you'll know that we don't agree upon everything. The little things. We will argue about the little things, but the big things we're normally like, yep, that's right, we need to do that. Because it's usually, it's the little things that are the selfishness in each of us that we are arguing about. But the big things, we know what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. We're like, this is how it's going to be. There's very rarely have we had to make a big decision that we both don't go, this is right. It's the, what do you want for dinner? I don't know, well, you pick, you know, you pick, you pick. You know, that kind of stuff that, that we will argue about because it's not a major pivot point of what our relationship is built on. So we'll argue about what we're going to have for dinner. Um, but it doesn't make, it's not a pivot point for our marriage. It's not like, well, you know, I can't agree with you on what we're going to have, whether it's chicken or peanut butter and jelly, so we just better not be married anymore. No, it doesn't work that way. We're, we're going to, we're going to focus on what the major things are. So when we go to church, what do we focus on? Are we focusing on whether Matt has um, good mints or bad mints that they, Sarah orders the good mints or the bad mints? You know, Jordan's like, I'm stopped coming to church. They don't have the orange mints anymore, you know? <laughs> you know, it's, it's how, do we, well, how do we focus on church? Do we focus on the word, the worship, the fellowship with the other believers? Or are we focused on everything else, the aesthetics? Well, I didn't like that they're in a school. Well, get over it. Um, and we have, to, we have to quit worrying about the, bi- the, the little minuscule things, because if the big things are in the proper place, yes. the church will move, the church will grow, people will grow, we will mature in our walk. Yeah. So we have to hold the line in our own lives and say, I'm not going to get into the petty things of whether I don't like the color of the tiles or the carpeting doesn't look right or the way the chairs are set up. One, one section is on an angle and I don't like that. You know, we've got we to work past those things. We've got to mature past those things. And so what happens is, is this is, in our lives, we have, to, we have to hold the line for our families, our, our church. We have to say, you know, we're not going to go down these roads. We're not going to step past this point of, um, from mature, we're not going to go from maturity to immaturity when we don't like certain things. And, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's people that will bring things to us. And it's like, yeah, you know what, that is a valid point. You have a valid point. And there's other people like, well, the subwoofer was like two decibels too high. I'm like, it. It's okay, you'll get over it, you know? And so there's certain things that you have to say, you know what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stand firm and we're going to preach the word of God. We're going to worship God and we're going to allow his spirit to come into this place and minister to us and so we can minister to other people. And so our job is to say, you know, we're not going to be complacent. We're not going to be, you know, uh, lazy in our walk. We're not going to be lazy in our... Um, our fellowship with each other. We're going to take care of each other. We're going to take care of our families. We're going to take care of fellow believers. But we have to hold that line because we are in a fight. Whether it's socially or spiritually, because here's what happens. When the spiritual gets riled up, it starts to bring it into social elements. When Satan doesn't like what's happening, he says, "How how can I affect the social aspect of our world to stop believers from um, going to church? How can I affect believers from being scared to go to church? How can I affect believers to disagree with each other how church should go during a pandemic or during a, a, a disagreement at church? He's like, how do I affect church from being 
um, viable? How uh, do I affect church from being powerful? I'm going to find the little issues. He's going to find the petty things in order for us to disagree. I can guarantee you we all disagree upon a similar subject. We can all disagree upon something, but you know what? It's not about those little things. It's about the unity of believers that we come together as people and say, I'm going to follow God. We're going to follow God. And sometimes you may not agree with a decision that a leader, leader makes, but if it's not a dangerous decision, sometimes it's like, you know what? Like there's sometimes I don't agree with what she wants to do for something in the house, but I'm like, you know what? It's not dangerous. I may not like it, but I'm going to uh, let her do it. Not that I give her permission to, because she don't need permission. She'll take it anyway. Um, <laughs> but she will do something. I'm like, I don't really agree with that, but it's not like, well, I wouldn't do it that way. So it's my opinion. And my opinion really doesn't matter because it's not affecting our household in a dangerous way. Our, our children aren't being affected. Our finances aren't being affected. And so I'm like, you know what? No, that's fine. I don't really care. And just go ahead and do what you want to do. Um, but I think that's the way we have to start to think about church too. Quit worrying about the little things. And as long as the church is progressing and people are maturing and the church is growing in, in a proper way where it doesn't have to be butts in the seats, it has to be maturity of believers. And I think we're so, I think so many people get wrapped up in how many people you have in your church that they forget about how many people are mature in your church. So we need, we need to quit worrying about, well, I don't, there's a space there and there's a space there. Think about how many people are starting to become mature as Christ became, became mature. And I think what we, we start to do when we start to think about it that way, we start to focus on internally of what we can do to help grow ourselves. It's the same way with our families. When we start to start looking at, stop looking at other families, like I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, we stop looking at what's going on around us. We start to focus on our own families. We stop thinking, well, that family's got it all together. No, they don't. No family has it all together. I'm just saying. If you have it all together, you're probably in heaven. And so when we stop to look at other churches, other groups of people and say, well, they've got this and they do this and they, they have this, why are we so focused on external things when we should be focused on internal things? And so Christ, when he says he wants us to stand firm, because in these days, we have a lot of opposition to believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He wasn't just some random prophet, some nice, not nice guy. There's a lot of opposition to believing that a man and a woman were created for marriage together. That God created only two sexes. And it's not flip-flop which one you want to be on if you have a bad day or not. Um, so we need to stand firm. We hold fast to the truth that is in the word of God and we hold it and we say, this is my foundation. I'm not going to choose one way or the other. I'm choosing what the word of God says. I'm not looking to the left. I'm not looking to the right. I'm not taking this opinion. I'm not taking this opinion. I'm taking the word of God as the truth. Yes. And the truth is the foundation. You know, one time my, one of my daughters said, well, that's, she said something about speaking my truth. I said, though, that's the biggest lie that you will ever hear in your life. Speaking my truth is an opinion. When you speak truth, it has to come from the word of God. It has to come from his word in his, in his the, the black and the white and the red and the white. That has to come from his word. Opinion, oh, I'm speaking my opinion. Well, your opinion's fine. You can have an opinion. But sometimes our opinions don't line up with the word of God. But we are in a fight. It's a spiritual battle. And sometimes it spills out into the physical realm 
because of what is going on in our culture. So 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions and stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. We are not Judah or Jerusalem, but we are his chosen people because we have, um, when Christ died for us and we, we accepted him into our lives and, and um, are born again, he, we are now his chosen people. It says that he knew us before we were formed. He chose us before the foundations of the earth. So for us, we don't have to fight. We become, we become spectators in the actions of the Lord. So many people want to fight their own spiritual battles, but God is, God is like, hey, I'm the one fighting for you because you, I'm the one that defeated the power of the enemy. I'm the one that resurrected my son. You didn't, so quit trying to pretend you did. And so he's like, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to go out before you. You can stand and watch me fight. I think so many times we try to do spiritual warfare, and it's really not our job to do a lot of spiritual warfare. Our job is to be a, a participant in, the, in his um, army. It's, it, uh, we're supposed to be active in the, the family of God and the kingdom of God. But I think so many times we try to do this spiritual warfare thing and saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, you deal with the situation. God, I'm believing that you're going to deal with it. Because in the ultimate, we can't resurrect our firstborn son. We can't create the world. We can't do anything like that. And so for us, we have to rely on the creator of the universe who did all that to fight for us instead of us being this, you know, going gung-ho into fighting someone's battles. And you're, you're like, this is not a battle for you to fight. This is your job, God. I'm going to partner with you and watch you fight for me. And so I think so many times when God says stand firm, he's telling us to stand firm and hold the line while he goes and says, hey, I got this. You just stand here, hold the line. If one of the little ones break through, take care of them, but I got my majority of it. If you look at David, what did David do? David went and God told him, here, take three, or get a smooth stone, take that smooth stone, put it in your sling, and throw it at a giant. I understand David had a really good aim. But do you not think the hand of the Lord was guiding the speed, the accuracy of that stone to defeat his enemies? Because any guy could have gone out there with a sling and a stone and chucked it at this dude, and it probably would have not done what that stone was. Because God says, I'm going to fight for you. I need you active in this, in this, in participating in this, but I'm going to direct this. I'm going to guide this stone to do what it needs to do. So when he says stand firm, we're not fighting against people. So many times we're talking like, well, that person, I'm just going to rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Well, you know what? You're fighting the wrong way. You're fighting the wrong battle and you're fighting the wrong person. And I think too many people are uneducated on that. We are not fighting against a person who acts bad towards us. We're not fighting someone who is, um, you know, so many times we, I, I watch TV and, and different things like that, and they're like, well, this, this person's, you know, pro this. And, you know, it's not that person that is controlling their thoughts. It is the, 
strongholds in the spiritual strongholds in this world that are controlling their minds and allowed to control their minds to do that. But God tells us this. You know, I I was, uh, the last song, Good, Good Father, it it kind of segued into this. And would a good, good father send his children into battle without being protected? No, he wouldn't. And so Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God. We need the full armor of God. And we're not going to go into a huge topic of the, the full armor of God, but we're going to go into this, and I, I believe this is, this is key for us on a daily basis. So Ephesians 6, verses 10, it says, The whole armor of God, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and put on the whole armor of God. What I love about this is it doesn't say be strong and put on the whole armor of God. It says be strong in the strength of his might. That means we rest in his strength. Our strength No. All of us combined can never do one iota of what God can do. So he's saying, rest in me. Let your strength be my strength. Let my strength be your strength. So when we're praying, we're not, we're getting the strength to go through what we're going through. It's not our strength. It's us tapping into what God has for us and drawing from his strength because he's never depleted. You guys ever just had times where you're just out of everything. You don't know what to pray. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. And you have to call on God and you have to tap into the source in order to be able to go through and see what God is seeing, know what God is knowing, because we've tried to do it on our own power. So he says, be strong and tap into my strength. Put on the whole armor of God for you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I love it. He says schemes. And we know he's scheming. We know he's, he's tricky. We know he's trying to, to trip us up. And I think one of the, the things that he does the best is, hey, you got to do this on your own. Rely on God, but just keep moving. Keep mo-. And sometimes we have to rest in God. Sometimes we have to go to God and say, you have the power, you have the strength, and I'm going to trust in you. And I think it's key because he doesn't say put on the whole armor of God and fight. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord, and the strength of his might. He's saying, this is a key, you ha- in order for us to wear that armor, for us to be able to, to effectively wear that armor and use it, we have to rest in his might. We have to trust in his power and his strength. So verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So he's saying, quit worrying about what, how people are acting. Start to, to, to dig deeper into what is going on. What is happening? What is um, directing them? What is influencing their lives? Is there sometimes you ever dealt with somebody and you're like, why are they just so horrible? Why are they so mean? Why are they so terrible to a person? And you have to start to look at experiences in their life and what is directing them. Where are they, they giving their life influence to something other than the Holy Spirit. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against present darkness, spiritual forces in heavenly places. But then he says, therefore, Paul is, is telling us, this is what you need and this is what is happening. So this is why you need the armor. He's not like just put on the armor and start fighting. No, he, he's explaining why we need this, why we should have this armor. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, maybe be able to stand against the evil day. And having done all that, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he says, the belt of truth. So the belt wasn't like a belt to hold your pants up. It was like a belt to take everything and wrap that armor. So when you put the armor on you, you'd put the armor on, and finally that belt would come over to tighten everything up, to bring it all together so you weren't running around losing a piece of armor here and a piece of armor here. It was to hold that armor together. And I think what Paul is saying, hey, truth is the ultimate piece of armor. It is the beginning piece of it. And if we don't understand the truth, we will be deceived by everything that comes our way. We will start to wrestle against flesh and blood. We will start to rely on our own strength. So fasten the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Truth and righteousness, I believe, are the the two keys of the whole armor. We need to understand the truth of God, but we also need to live righteous, have righteousness in our lives. Not like, well, I'm I'm good enough for what, no. We need to start to look at what the word says about living a a righteous life and having a, a, a life that is given over to God and start to live that way. Righteousness doesn't come from just, you know, being a good person. Righteousness comes from Christ. Christ gives us righteousness when we are born again. But it's, it's continually living according to his word, according to what his Holy Spirit is guiding us to do that creates a righteous life in us. Now, we can't do it on our own. We can't gain righteousness on our own, but we are given righteousness because of what Jesus did on the cross. His blood paid for us, and when we stand before God, we look righteous because of his blood. But it requires us to start to act like Christ and start to, to move like Christ, start to speak like him and think like him. So verse 15, it says, and the shoes for your feet, having put, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So he says, the gospel of peace, put on those shoes because you're going to need it because you're going to be going places. You're going to be moving. You're going to be taking the gospel of peace. It's funny. He says, put on armor, but then he talks about peace. Normally you don't put on armor in peacetime. You put on armor during war. You know, you don't go out, you know, knights didn't put on armor, you know, hey, wife, like, dinner's ready, puts on his armor, armor ready, let's eat dinner. You know, flip it up, take a bite, flip it back down, you know. No, armor is not meant for peacetime. It is meant for war. But he says, what, what he goes, the gospel of peace. Your shoes are bringing the gospel of peace. You know, we, we look at, Sarah talked about peacemakers, peacekeepers, and the gospel is about peace. What did the angels say to the shepherds? It says, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And that's what we are doing. We are taking that and we are bringing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. When we, when we take that gospel to other places. Verse 16 says, in all circumstances, take the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, think, if, you th- if you really think about um, our lives, there's always something going on in our lives that might be an attack, might be um, something that we've allowed. And I think sometimes that shield of faith is there to block what the enemy is throwing at us to block it. And think about it. What happens when we become sick? What do we, what do we do? We start to, to 
um, study about faith and increase our faith in what? In certain, and I'm not talking about just faith. We're talking about faith for healing, f- uh, faith for finances. That right there is going to keep a lot of the attack of the enemy away from you. But at that time, faith is, rises up in us. Faith rises up in us to deal with the, the situations that we're going through in our life. And so faith is, is not just a, a shield. It is an empowering thing that rises up in us. When we start to, to believe what God is doing and see what God is doing, faith rises up in us. A shield gets a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger. And eventually it's like, oh, the enemy throws that. It's like, no, please. You tried that like 10 years ago. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even see that. The helmet of salvation. Where does salvation start? Salvation doesn't start in here. It starts here because we have to hear the word. We have to start to understand the word. And I don't mean by like studying scripture, but when someone is talking about being born again, it doesn't start here. It starts here because we're hearing what is going on and it has to translate to our heart. Faith doesn't, doesn't um, immediately start in the heart and then our mind is conceived. It starts here. We hear what it is. It works and it plants a seed in our heart and then our mind starts to come in line. But he's saying, put on this helmet of salvation because it's to guard our thoughts, to guard everything that we start to say, everything that we start to do. We have to start to think about it. And salvation is how we got here. Salvation is how we started our walk, how we started to put on that that armor because it started with Christ dying for us and us realizing that we need a savior. We need Christ and saying, I surrender my life to you. And so salvation is the key to this all. Salvation is how we start to realize God is fighting for us. Salvation is how we start to realize that faith is our shield. And so he says, put on the helmet of salvation. It's to guard our mind. It's to guard our thoughts. To guard what is coming into our head. You guys ever just been doing something and a weird thought comes in your head and like, where did that come from? Where, and like, and it's like, why would that thought ever come into my head? Yeah. It's because the enemy is like, hey, little dart, little dart, little dart. And that helmet of salvation protects our minds from the influence of the enemy. It protects our mind and keeps our minds focused on Christ because what happens is the enemy likes to throw little things out there. He likes to to put those little thoughts in our head, like, you know, the most common thought I think people have, and uh, I think I was reading this somewhere, is they'll be driving down a road, and they'll think, what if I, cra- what if I swerve my car into that? That is a very common thought for people to have. What if I just ran my car into that? I'm like, that is the weirdest thing, but it is. People will think that. What if I did that? And because it's a natural mindset to think about things, but when the enemy starts to produce his little drops of, of doubt and his little, his little fiery darts at us, we start to think about things that are dangerous, start to think about things that are um, harmful to us. So when we put that, cell, that helmet on, it guards our thoughts. That why, that's why it says, take every thought captive. Take that thought, okay, why is that thought coming into my head? Say, you know what, no, it's not right. It's going to submit, my mind is going to submit to Christ. And I'm going to ha- and those thoughts are going to stop. And I love it what he says. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Think about it. The Word of God, when we start to use the Word of God, it cuts through all arguments. It cuts through all strongholds when we start to speak the Word of God over our life. When you start to use the Word of God as a weapon in your life instead of just using it as something as of comfort to go to when you're upset or depressed, it becomes powerful. It is powerful when we start to speak the Word of God and when we start to use the Word of God in our lives. Because if we don't use the Word of God in our lives, it just becomes, oh, God, I need you. And you go to it as a comfort piece and you wipe the dust off and you start to read and you're like, oh, I just feel better now. It's not about feeling better. The Word of God was not there to make you feel better. The Word of God was there to empower you so you could use it as a weapon in your life. So when those thoughts come or when those issues of life come, you can start to use that to cut through what is standing in front of you. The strongholds to break those down. You, you can use that to start breaking down strongholds in your life, in your family, in your mind. So it's not just something that you, you know, I remember uh, when I was a little kid, you know, at church, you'd have sword drills. You know, hold up your Bible, and they'd be like, this scripture, go! And you're like, you know, trying to get through it. And, and um, I kind of cheated sometimes because I'd look at the notes of the uh, person and find out what it was. I never got there fast enough because I just never got there fast enough. But this probably got teaching me a lesson for trying to cheat and find the, the ones before that. Had some fast-fingered kid that was just like, Psh, got it, you know. And I, yeah, wasn't good. God taught me a lesson with that. So I don't cheat, uh, cheat at sword drills anymore, just to let you guys know that. I haven't had one in 30 years, but hey. Um, but the Word of God is powerful. It is not a comfort item. It can comfort us, but the comfort comes from the Holy Spirit. Words don't comfort, the Holy Spirit comforts. The words that we're reading are released into our life, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life and comfort us when we're going through things. But it's meant to be a powerful weapon. It's meant to be a powerful tool in our lives and not be just like, well, something's happening. I better get the sword out and dust it off and see if it'll work. No, it's meant to be powerful and active in, a di- in an everyday life. That's why when we read the word daily, we, it empowers us. It becomes something that we can use. And then he says in verse 18, praying all the time in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am the ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So the, the, the idea was, is Paul is writing this letter in captivity with his captors, and they're probably armed guards standing from him. So he's like, how do I translate this into something for the people I'm writing to? God's giving him wisdom on how to take some, uh, you got to understand this Roman Empire at that time pretty much dominated the world. And so the, the, the people he's writing to have Roman guards there. They have Roman legions in their city. So he's saying, how do you, how do you, um, how do I translate this for them so they can understand it by looking at the people who have overtaken their, their countries and their cities? So he's writing this to say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what God is telling me. And he says, I'm proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. I'm in chains, but I'm proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. The fact that they even let letters go out of his cell was crazy because they didn't like what he was doing, but they allowed him to write multiple letters out of him being in prison multiple times to encourage people. 
And so when we look at this, when we look at the, the armor of God, when this is all designed for us to empower us, to protect us, to deliver us from whatever is going on in our culture, in our families. It's the, every piece of that armor has something to do with what we're going to go through daily. But when we stand firm, in Hebrews 10, it says this, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let, our, excuse me, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So when Paul's talking about the armor, he's like, this is all designed for you. This is given to you. This is given to you for all of these possibilities that you might go through. But we have to, when the God, we allow God to fight for us, he goes out and fights for us, and we get to watch, and we get to enjoy the spoils of victory. So, but Paul says, hold fast to your confession. And what he's saying is some translations say, hold fast to your confession of faith, which is your hope. Because God is faithful. He will come through when he, he is um, done fighting for us. But he says, stir up one another to love and good works. Our job while God is fighting for us is to allow the other people around us to be encouraged. You ever gone through something and you're like, yeah, God's going to take care of this. And everybody around you is like, I don't know what's going to happen. The, like, the sky is falling and you've been able to encourage them and to bring them back into uh, saying, hey, God is going to take care of this. That is our job is while God is fighting for us is to encourage the people around us to say, look at what God is doing. He's going to bring us through this. He's going to take care of this. He's going to deliver us. He's going to free us. And that's our job. We have to hold that line. We have to hold that, that line of faith and saying, nope, we're not going to waver. We're not going to step back. We're going to believe that God is doing what he says he's going to do. But 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen says, stand firm, act like men, and be strong. You know, I think... In our culture, we watch things change because Christians don't stand firm. They don't hold the line and say, we're not going to accept this. We're not going to do this. You'll watch sometimes culture will change things because the Christians haven't stood up and said, you know, no, we're going to be salt. We're going to be light. We're going to hold the line and say, this is not happening on our watch. So I think for our job is to hold the line to stand firm is to say, God, you're going to fight for us, but we're going to be vocal about what God is doing. We're going to be vocal about what culture is doing, and we don't agree with what culture is doing. Our job is to not condemn culture, is not to say, oh, they're horrible people. It's to, to pray and to understand what God is doing in the natural and the spiritual and say, we're going to hold the line and allow God to work in the spiritual realm, but we're going to stand firm and in the, the physical and say, this is not going to happen on our watch. This is not going to happen while we have a voice. But we have to hold fast and hold fast to Christ and allow him to do what he's going to do. Quit trying to change culture by yourself. Quit trying to change everything by yourself. Quit trying to change the workplace by yourself. Start to allow God to rest in his might and let his power take care of it. Let's pray.